If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This week is part two of hunting elk in a hole. Now, last week was part one, and we covered what to look for, why elk use those areas, as well as how to hunt them. This week, we're going to go a little bit deeper, and we're going to cover what it takes to hunt these areas, some strategies for getting in and out, and some gear that helps out. Finally, we'll cover some ideas on getting an elk out once you're successful. But before we do that, I'm going to share the story of a bull in a hole on two days off between guiding hunters and what became my first successful self-filmed solo elk kill. This story, we're going in the Wayback Machine. I'm pretty sure I was 19, and I can tell because uh, I watched the video recently, and my voice has just a lot less bass, and I have a goatee. I was just edging on growing a good full beard, and at the time, the it's going to date me a little bit, but at the time, goatees were cool. <laughs> There's some people being like, they were never cool. Uh, looking back, I, I, I now think that, but, you know, I rocked it, man. It was, uh, it was just a way of life, all right? Now, on this hunt, it was in between guiding. It was, like, early on in my guiding career. Obviously, I was pretty young, and, you know, I, I loved elk hunting, but as much as loving elk hunting, I love to eat elk. And I realized very quickly I loved the fact that I could be out all the time hunting elk, but I also didn't have a lot of time to hunt for myself. And this particular year, I knew that the end of the season, I was actually taking off the last week of the season where I'd be guiding because I drew a late season Nevada elk tag this particular year. So I wanted to make sure that I had time for that. And I knew that if I wanted to fill my Montana elk tag, I wasn't going to be able to hunt too much. So there was a couple weeks in the schedule where there was uh, essentially two full days in between. The hunters left that morning and then they came in the night 
after. So I had essentially one full day and then the next part of day to pack out. And I thought to myself, I want to shoot a bull. I want to make sure that I've got elk meat in the freezer because I was going to be picky on my Nevada tag. So I decided that I was going to just, you know, go into a spot where I knew there were going to be elk. I had very limited time. So I just decided it's time to drop into the hole. It's just now or never. And then I'll figure out the next day trying to get this elk out. So unfortunately, this particular day, I was, I was pretty sick. I, I don't know <laughs> what I had going on, but pretty bad cough. What not a lot of lung capacity, but I decided, hey, I'm going to go in here and I'm just going to grind. I'm going to, I'm going to try to turn up a bull. And if I find a legal bull, I'm going to shoot it. So I had a, a, a camcorder, a video camera, just standard camcorder with me. Had that, had all my stuff in my pack. Started, I don't know, probably quite a bit before daylight. I hiked in about three or four miles before sunup. And then my plan was to get to the high point, glass, and then drop down if I saw some elk. So sun comes up, I, I spot a group of elk with one legal bull on this finger ridge. So I just watched them and watched where they went and they ended up bedding. They, they kind of left this burn area and then bedded below these like cliffs in kind of like the middle of a burn, but it was shaded for most of the day. And it was, like I said, in, in many ways looking at it, it looked out in the open, but I was in an area that most people didn't want to drop down into. So I figured that they were going to be there until I got there. So I just waited glassing until they bedded uh, I knew that that area particularly had, was going to have a lot of shade for a while. So then I decided, all right, time to move in, make my stock. It was about probably another mile and a half, two miles to their position. So I start dropping down. Now, mind you, I, I got to climb back up to get out. And it's probably, I don't know, it's a, it's a good, uh, was, I don't even know, over 2,000 feet vertical climb out, maybe even 3,000 vertical feet. It was, it was a long ways. They were down at the bottom of this hole, and I had to get back to the top to get back out. So I, I start going down there. I'm, I'm just, this is like way before, I mean, this is, you think about Solo Hunter, this would be like, I mean, five to seven years before Solo Hunter. I just enjoyed filming things just for myself and it was a lot of fun. I never did anything with this video. Just like, oh yeah, I just want to do it. So I I go and get into position and get on the ridge across from him, spot the bull, and I just couldn't get a shot. So I ended up uh, working in closer and decided like, well, I'm just going to get right on top of him. So I get like, it was one of these where there's a finger ridge across, but the finger ridge across, I didn't have like a real good view or good shot. So I decided to just get in close. So I get in close and sure enough, they're still bedded there. It wasn't a big bull, but it was a legal bull. And I told myself already, I was like, all right, I think I'd passed up quite a few bulls, much, much bigger. But it was to the point of the season where it was time to it was time to make something happen. So I sneak into position and I just had this thought like, oh, I should try to film this. I don't even think I had a tripod. I know I didn't have a tripod for the camera. I think I I mean I had a tripod for my spotting scope, but I actually set the camera up, if I can remember right. I set it on something so it'd be stable. Got it in the video, checked the video, got my pack set up to shoot off of, and lined up on the bull, pulled the trigger, dropped the bull in his bed. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then, of course, then you think, okay, now what? By myself, I'm a long ways in. I don't have much time to get out, and I feel pretty sick. The hike in definitely didn't help. And I knew the hike out wasn't going to be much better, but I wasn't going to let that stop me. So 
I get there, I get to the bull, start cutting it up, start hanging the quarters in the tree. And I think to myself, I'm like, all right, this is, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be packing out by dark anyways. I'm going to have to come back tomorrow. So I actually got all the meat up in a, there's a nice big tree next to me. So I, I got all the meat hanging, uh, cooled down and I just loaded up a pack load. I went in light. I had a, a pack frame and everything went in light thinking I was going to be packing something out. And sure enough, I was. So went in light, started loaded up my pack and then started packing it out. And so when I kind of went in there, I had a backup plan. I thought before I'm going to have to have enough time to get this bull out. So my plan was I was going to bring in some horses the next day. So you know, the guy that I was guiding for had, we had a pack string. So that made it, that made it nice, but there was no trails going into this spot. So that generally makes it a rodeo. And it was, I enlisted the help of my buddy Bart and me and him went in there and we rode in first thing in the morning and got to the elk. Everything was still there. Nothing had messed with it. It was high enough. Nothing could have messed with it. Load up the horses. And this is like, I had this, this one part, maybe I've, I've told this story before. I remember kind of telling this story. This is how old this story is and it's like I'm maybe repeating stories and don't even know it, but um, this was cell phones weren't really a thing. I didn't really have a cell phone, but somehow I acquired a cell phone that was it like worked in this area that cell phones didn't really work. Cell phones were fairly, I mean, nobody really had them, and I got this phone that worked in this area and I didn't have a bill for it. I don't know how I got it. Somebody gave it to me. I'm like, oh, this works. And I don't even know what the deal was. It was like some kind of phone that got lost in the system. So I had this cell phone with me. This thing was like worth its weight in gold because if I ended up somewhere where I could get service, I could call and like we could get the horses at least riled up, rounded up to pack out or have somebody meet me at a trailhead to help pack or whatever. It was just, it was really a valuable tool back then. And so I had this phone and we loaded up the meat on the horses. And I had a horse that just was, I can't remember that horse's name. His name should have been dog food because that's about like, that's about what this horse was good for. Why that horse? I don't remember. So it was fine getting in and we loaded up. The horse I was riding was a, a former wild Mustang. And that horse was just incredible in the mountains. Loved that horse. I always tell people, like, if you can get a good, broke, wild horse, the hard part is getting a good one that's broke. Man, they're just the best. I mean, I've, I've ridden some broke, wild horses in some crazy places, and they're just always pretty calm. Now, this other horse that we had, this was a bred horse, a bred pack horse, and this thing was a piece of shit. But, that, of course, that's the one that it decided to put all the meat on. So we're packing out, and like I said, the, the elk were in these cliffs, and... So I've got that horse tied up to this dead burned tree and put the last quarter on. Well, he didn't like, like the wind shifted and he did not like the smell of that dead elk down below. And he started to get antsy. So he got antsy and he starts to like rear back and try to back away. Well, when he does that, the branch that he was tied off to on this dead tree just snapped right off. And it's a big branch and now it's a steep hill. And the, the branch comes off. The horse starts like just going crazy. He's got this branch. He's got an elk on him. It's like now it's a rodeo. So we're trying to chase this, like catch this bucking horse that's 
towing this tree down and like he's going toward these cliffs and this is not gonna end well this is probably one of the reasons why i don't use horses that much anymore they're an incredible tool but man you can have some rodeos so catch the horse get the horse and now he's already he's like worked up he's pissed off he's he's not feeling good we ended up catching him had to ride the other horse down everything was just a cluster f i mean it's it's a blur of remembering like what ended up happening so anyways we get the horse We've got to load it up. We pack out the elk. And this horse now is just like, he wants to run. He wants to buck. That makes the horse that I'm riding not do so well that I'm leading with. And I ended up getting bucked off and off my good horse. (laughs) So we end up getting out. And it was going to be like this half a day ordeal. And it ends up being like pretty much this full day excursion. Get back. And I reach in my pocket and that phone, that phone that I never had a bill for that worked everywhere and have no clue how it worked, why it worked, whatever. It must have like tapped into some some kind of system. That thing worked like incredible. Was missing. Gone. And I just figured I was like, man, it probably it was somewhere between the rodeo, the cliffs, and getting bucked off that I probably lost it on the pack out. But long story short, the hole paid off. I got my bull and uh, got my bull out. When I talk about hunting and finding elk in a hole, one of the things that rings true is the fact that it's difficult to get into, it's difficult to get out of, or more difficult to get out of, therefore the elk like it. Now, if it's not apparent yet, it should be, the the fact is, in order to hunt these areas, you need to be in really good physical shape as well as be mentally tough. It's a key component to hunting elk. It's probably a theme that you hear a lot when I talk about elk hunting in this podcast. And I don't necessarily want to be the type of person that sugarcoats elk hunting. There are ways where you can get on easier elk. There's ways that, I mean, anybody, honestly, anybody can hunt elk. I've guided hunters of all physical abilities and been successful, right? You just adjust your tactics and other things. But if you want to be consistently successful, the guys that can get after it, can get into these places other people just don't want to go. Those are the guys that are filling their tags year in and year out. Honestly, 90% of the elk that get killed are by 10% of the hunters that just do it year after year after year. I mean, I've pretty much filled every elk tag in general areas or wherever. It's just like every year. I know the guys, it's like the guys that fill elk tags, whether it's like somewhere they live or going out of state, they're the guys that just are very consistent doing it. It's because I would say the majority of them have one thing in common in it because they might hunt different styles, different weapon methods, different units, different whatever philosophies. Probably most of them have the one thing that they're in good physical shape and mentally tough. And so that's not to get you to shy away, but just to tell you that it is possible. Now, there's a lot of, I think that when it comes to talking about elk hunting, there's a lot of people that can do something that they just maybe necessarily don't know that they can do or just say like, oh, I don't really want to do that. But physically they can. Now I'm not saying this to like get yourself into a situation that you can't get out of. Cause when you hunt these areas, right? Getting in is easy. Getting out is hard. That's, that's the point of the hole. You got to drop down, dropping down is quick. Getting back up is not, that's the hard part. And I've led many unsuspecting hunters that were in what they thought of as probably not great shape, but 
I knew the area. I knew what people are capable of and knew that they would be capable of it and have found success with guys that probably on their own or have admitted on their own, they're like, I would have never gone there if you didn't take me in there. And most of the time I don't tell them where we're going. We just go. I don't do that. I only do that with the guys that I know could get out. Right. But I think that that's one of the things. And, and, you know, it comes back to in the title of the podcast every week we talk about mountain tough and the fitness and and I really did partner with them for a specific reason because I think that they fill that niche of getting physically ready as well as covering a lot of the mental tough aspects of this because you know you can't you really can't put a price on doing tough things and I think getting out and and just preparing is one of the things that really gets you ready for this type of money. If you want to use this, I'm like, this is the most successful tactic. Here's what you can do to consistently find elk. All you have to do is be willing and able to do it. Then you go, okay, well, how do I get to that point? And that means, you know, getting physically ready, getting in shape for the hunt, telling yourself I can do it when, you know, you're, you're completely physically capable of it because you've been working up to it. And that's why I wanted to talk about whole hunting elk this time of year, because it's early enough where we can start building those healthy habits. And like we talked about in podcasts in the past, as well as like get on it and get in physical shape. You know, you just have to do something tough. You have to get used to wearing a pack. You have to get used to carrying weight and get used to wearing hunting boots, the things that you're going to hunt in and the more the sooner you do that the more successful you're going to be the guys that do it every year year in and year out or and maybe live in this kind of country you know it's just part of the lifestyle people that are coming in to hunt elk for the first time from somewhere else that's not necessarily ingrained in their lifestyle it's not their every weekend thing going out looking for sheds in elk country hunting spring bear like for us out west this is just something that we are accustomed to do you know, or people that live in maybe more rural areas or whatever. If you don't have access to that all the time, then you need to figure out a way to make it work in that off season before your hunt and start early. And I just think that there's no, you can't put a price on that kind of stuff because it, it definitely, you just can't do these tactics, right? If you don't have that preparedness. And then that preparedness comes knowing that I'm physically and mentally capable of doing it. Because it can be it can be a grind. You get down in there and you're like, the first time you climb out, you're like, ah, man, I don't want to do that again. You absolutely can. You have the physical, like, this is just coming from a stand where I'm talking about somebody that, like, physically can. It's like, if you have some kind of whatever, you're really out of shape, you haven't prepared, you can't physically do it, you don't want to put yourself in a bad situation. But for those of you that can, I think most people actually just can do it, but kind of mentally give up. So, we're just kind of talking about who's a good candidate for this hunting tactic. And there's a lot of hunting tactics we're going to talk about throughout the year that fit different hunting styles, different people, different scenarios. And this fits a specific scenario of, man, maybe I'm in an area where I'm having trouble finding elk or it's highly pressured. Uh, where are those spots where I can get into where elk are going to be elk? And, and you don't always have to do this one tactic. There's a lot of other tactics involved but this one definitely when i just like look back at the track record of hunting certain general units over the counter tags this that and the other thing this is a tactic that's like man it seems like very consistently i I pull out elk in these kind of areas because elk are still being elk and they aren't as pressured and that's what we're looking for so i think if you can you can wrap your mind around this is going to be the kind of hunt and this is how i can prepare for it then you're going to go into these hunts 
and, and be that person that can do this kind of hunt. So I just have to, like, that's something that we definitely needed to talk about. Another thing is when it comes to that mental toughness, when you're talking about hunting in a hole, most people that can do it say no before it starts. So you just have to say that I'm going to start looking in the hard places and then I'm going to start getting into elk and that's going to be my hunt strategy and my hunt plan and not saying, oh, that's too far. Oh, that's too hard. Obviously within reason, you know, if it is too far for your capabilities, we don't want anyone in some kind of survival situation, but within your reason, you're like, yeah, you got to the top and it sucked, but you know, you could do it every day this week. You just have to embrace that suck. And a lot of success comes from just embracing the suck, just saying like, this sucks. I didn't really like it, but I was getting into elk and therefore it's worth it. Or maybe you aren't even getting into elk, but you're going to continue that strategy because the other stuff wasn't working or might not work. Or, hey, at least I wasn't running into other hunters or maybe you are running into other hunters, but you're just in a better location to intercept an elk. So just kind of having that right mindset is what it takes to kind of find success in these whole hunts. Now let's kind of jump into some tactics that we use to make it a little bit easier on ourselves. Not all these places are going to be the hardest grind you've ever got into. Maybe some of them are just a little bit off the beaten path where it's just a little pocket that maybe somebody thought forgot about. Maybe it's just, uh, you got to drop down a little ways to glass it and it's shoot. I found good elk holes in places where it's like, all I had to do is drop down a ridge 300 yards. And most people just didn't want to do that. And that's not that hard, you know, especially in the scheme of like continuing to hunt all week or whatever, just finding those little places where you can get a little bit out of the way and you can get in to bulls. A couple of the tactics that I use when I'm hunting these kind of areas, you know, travel the easy routes if you can, the clean ridges. There's, there's a lot of ways to get into places. Maybe there's a, a more gradual approach up a face of some kind or up a valley but the valley's full of deadfall and a bunch of other thick shit nasty brush or uh you've got i don't know a lot of a lot of obstructions a lot of whatever that make it difficult but there's a steeper ridge that is clean going i always try to choose the clean path because even if it's steep it's generally i found easier you expend a lot of energy throwing your body over deadfall and other stuff if you don't have to take those clean ridges so sometimes I'll, I'll go a longer route as well where it's like well this this route's a little bit longer but i can stay on this high ridge i, I lose more elevation but i'm not side hilling through a bunch of crap a bunch of brush i'm just going good clean ridge down a ridge into the zone that i want and going back out that same way Sometimes you just got to think of it that way as you're expending maybe more energy or distance, but it's easier going. And a lot of people overlook that. I've been with guys who are like, oh, let's, I'm going to go through here. Look, it's just, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to take this route because it's clean. And nine times out of 10, I will probably beat them to wherever they're going, even if it's longer or steeper. Um, just something to think about. And then also just look for those good draws, work the least encumbered routes and locate game trails. If elk and deer, whatever, in these areas, they have their routes. When I'm walking down a hill, if I if I want to get into a zone and I hit a game trail, I'm like, these elk know where to go. I'll probably travel that game route and really learn that area and where the elk are moving. And by doing that too, you can understand the sign and how elk are using this particular area as opposed to 
uh, breaking your back, going a, a different route where there are no trails and other things. Now, I'll often jump off those trails and those trails die and end and they, whatever, they do a lot of different stuff. Sometimes you'll be on a hill and it'll zigzag back and forth. It's just better to shoot straight down, whatever. Every area is different, but um, if you can get into a, uh, onto a good game trail and you'll often find those game trails are on those clean ridges. They're in those maybe good valleys or whatever. The animals know the best routes. So a lot of times I do follow those game trails. And if I'm hunting thicker country, I still hunt those game trails. And it's a good way to be continually hunting in areas that elk and deer and other animals travel. Now they might not be right on that trail, but you know that those are areas that kind of funnel and congregate animals. Um, So that's something to think about. Now, another huge factor when it comes to hunting in a hole is you got to think about, you know, sometimes you got to climb up to get into them and then drop down the other side and climb back up. It can be very physical. And especially these are great places to hunt with another person because they are difficult. A lot of my hunting for me personally, I'm either guiding or hunting alone. Now it seems like I might be hunting with a camera crew or something like that. But I, I think that this is one of the things that I always tell my clients and I'm like, go at your pace. My personal pace is quite quick. It works both ways. Like if you're hunting with a guy that's real fast and you're trying to keep up all day, you're expending energy that you don't necessarily need to expend and you're going to get burnt out faster. You really have to go at your pace. Last year I was hunting with a guy and I'm like, all right, just go at your pace. This is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. You might have to go into this spot two or three days in a row, or maybe you're just even camping down there, but you're going to have to haul all your crap back out of there, your tent, your stove, your all your stuff, a lot of weight, plus hopefully an elk. You need that energy. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And just like any kind of marathon, you need to have a pace. Now, my pace, my particular pace is really fast. That's just the way that I walk. I naturally, I have long legs. I naturally walk fast. I realized when I'm walking with somebody that's really slow, I actually get tired because I'm like, I don't know if I'm stepping different. I'm dragging my feet a little bit more. I'm taking more steps. I'm, I'm whatever. I need to go at my pace. I'd rather walk fast and stop than like walk slow for a long time, especially uphill. Now, other people, it's the opposite. Maybe they've got a slow cadence. It doesn't matter what it is. If you don't go at your body's pace, you're going to tire out. So you know, just say, hey, this is how we're doing it. We're going to go to our pace. If you're a fast walker, walk and stop more. If you're a slow walker, you know, don't feel like you have to keep up. Go at your pace. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You're going to be doing this day in, day out. Uh, hopefully, you only have to go a couple days or whatever, but you just, just think of it in longevity. If you go at your pace, you're going to be a lot better off. Now, another little tactic that I'll use, especially when I've got, let's say it's like a one of those areas where the hole is you maybe have to hike up to the top of somewhere and then drop down the other side. This is fairly common. And maybe it's a spot where you've, you've located and identified elk and you go, okay, I got to drop down a ways here. So then you got to think about the reverse. I got to get back out. So I got to come back up this particular spot and then back down the other side. One of the things that really weighs you down is water, but it is very, very important to stay hydrated. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. One of the things that I'll do on some of these hunts in more arid country is I'll carry water up to the high point and do like a water stash um, where I, I, the first hike in is extra heavy. Uh, I did this recently. It wasn't an elk hunt. It was a deer hunt, but I just carried like this massive, uh, I carried like two, what are they? The big, the big gallon things of water, man, was it heavy? 
but it's like, I was like, well, I'm just pretending like I'm packing some out and we're going to use this. And if we didn't have that, I, we might've died of dehydration, but just like having that, that water high. So when you go down, you've got the amount of water. Oftentimes when you're elk hunting, you're going to be around water sources in the bottom, or you're going to find other, other water, especially if you know where other water is. So you can have some kind of water filter or whatever. But sometimes when you get to that high point, you're, you're sweating and hit hot and whatever, and you probably don't have that same amount. So you can get to the top lighter, fuel up with water, and then continue hunting. So that's one of the things that I've done in the past that's really helped. So I don't have to carry so much water all day as I'll do those stashes in strategic places where I don't have to like backtrack with a bunch of water or I'll like have an extra water bottle that I hang high and then know like when I drop down, I'll have plenty of water. I can filter and do this. But when I, I'm working up the hill, I go, okay, well, I can drink it or dump whatever. If I, you know, it's like, you know, I can climb up there and get, once I know that I get to this point, there is water. I've had that where I've planned on getting it out of a spring, not knowing that it was not there and really, really almost got myself into some trouble. So knowing where those actual water sources, before I drop down into somewhere, I should know if, I, if I'm coming back up late on water, I should know, yeah, there is actually water here. I, I was dropping down this one spot well, maybe two years ago. I look over to my right. I'm like, yep, there's a spring. It's on the map. I see the green grass. Everything's cherry. <laughs> drop down to the bottom. And this was a big drop, like probably 3,000 feet. It was huge. And, and it was high elevation too. Like the top was... I don't know, over, over 10,000, you know, I'm dropping down like 7,000. Uh, so, or maybe even lower 6,500. It was just like, it was a big climb and it was hot. And so I dropped down and the only way back out is up. So I, there was water in the bottom. I got water. And then, so I, I go back up. My camp was on my back. So I dropped down with my camp, camped in the bottom, didn't get into what I needed to get into, didn't get into anything and went back up. So when I went back up, I went to the spring and there was no water in the spring. I had to drop like 2,000 vertical feet back to get water. By the time I got water, I was damn near out of water to get back up. It was a really hot, hard hunt. And I just like, I got physically exhausted and I actually had to like end the hunt. I would say I didn't have to end early, but I had to go hunt somewhere else because I, I just wasn't prepared for that. And had I known that going in, I could have, I, I would have just been more prepared. I would have stashed some water up high when I had it from the spring on the other side, I, I just could have done it different. Um, so that's just something to think about. Now there are, I talked about having a water filter. Now, whether you're day hunting or packing in, sometimes people don't think about this on a day hunt. I always bring some kind of water purification. I've been using a SteriPen lately. You can use a pump, you can use a, a filter bottle. They're a little heavy and cumbersome. I don't really like those too much, but, or just like potable aqua tablets, whatever, or just, you know, drink the water, whatever it is. When I'm day hunting, especially in these holes, like I, I'd make sure that I have some kind of water filtration or whatever purification just in case I, I run into some real bad water down there. It might be the, the water that you've got. If you can keep that water high, your water intake high, you're going to do a lot better. And so that's one of the key pieces of gear that make hole hunting a little bit easier in that same vein i would say that staying adequately hydrated and fueled is extremely important so it doesn't matter whether you're packing in or day hunting uh, a hunt that's going to be more physically grueling more physically demanding requires more physical fuel so you're gonna have to carry more food and i think that hydration is 
just as important, if not probably more important than what you're eating. Uh, the eating gives you energy, but if you start to dehydrate, a lot of things start to go go wrong. And I've hit that wall many times. I know what it feels like. I don't like that feeling. And there's been times I've, I've run out of both on hunts. You can go a lot further with no food than you can without water. I, I promise you that. It's one of the things that I always carry, wilderness athlete, hydrate and recover. Over the years, I've start, just swear by it. And you guys have heard me talk about it before. But some kind of hydration drink is imperative to get those electrolytes back up. You're sweating. You know, it, you need to replenish those electrolytes. You need to increase your water intake. And so that's just a good way, a good way to do it. Some kind of hydration mix. Now, another thing when it comes to gear, you know, we like to talk about just working smarter, not harder sometimes using a stick. It can be a trekking pole, like one you bring in, or it can just be something half the time it's just a stick that I find on the ground and use for that uphill hike. And sometimes that downhill assist, when you're going into a place that's like real steep and you're uneven, you're using a lot of muscles for stabilization. And the more those muscles fatigue over the week, the more tired you get. These are things that you're going to train throughout the season is getting all those little muscles firing and, and good at stabilizing and balance is a huge uh, thing of just being able to go a long ways in the mountains because you're always off center. Adding a stick into that really allows you to go a little bit longer and smoother. You're just conserving energy. Like I said before, a marathon, not a sprint. I'll pick up a stick at the beginning of the day. Maybe I drop that stick. I find another stick when I get to whatever. That's a good way to do it. In recent years, you know, like on mountain hunts for sheep and stuff where there isn't a lot of timber, I'll take trekking poles. Now I take, like when I'm guiding, I have trekking poles because I use them as shooting sticks as well during the rifle season. During the archery season, I just use a stick. I don't bring the trekking pole. So unless I've got a tent that time that uses the trekking poles as a support, you can play with that. Another good thing with that trekking pole or stick is when you shoot an elk, you can use it. You run it across your backpack, lash the antlers to it so they don't swing out. So you can go, you know, have the antlers down and move through things a little bit easier. It's a, it's actually a really good way to pack out a big heavy elk head which is the goal right being packing out an elk and then speaking of packs when you're hunting in a hole you need a good backpack it has to fit you right i've talked about gear like this before but it's always just a really good refresher of these are the things that are important in these you know the harder the hunt the better the gear the more comfortable you are the better you can do these hard hunts and you know you can you can in some ways cheat the system of you still have to put in the work but i remember when i had just like <laughs> i remember going into some of these holes as like a teenager and a kid in essentially a like a cabela's jan sport backpack right it was i think it was like a f what were they made out of i don't even know like some kind of soft touch material like a what was it called polar fleece you got maybe it's like i think it was probably in some weird camo timber pattern and had like one front pocket it looked like a, my school the only difference between this backpack and my school backpack was this one was a little bit softer always stunk and was just as crappy and just doing hunts like this in those backpacks and you're just constantly tired no waist belt whatever i think we're over those times because the idea of really good backpacks people really understand now but just having a really good lightweight backpack i like the lightweight ability because when it's light, you can get in, you can get out, you're carrying less weight, you're less fatigued. It's just, it's a, it's a good piece of gear that lends itself to this type of hunting, this style of hunting.
one other key piece of gear when you're hunting in a hole is just having good game bags, you know, lightweight game bags. I just started last year using some Argali game bags. I liked them. They were lightweight, a lot lighter than some other ones out there. There's a lot of great game bags, though. I mean, I've used a little bit of everything. Just having a game bag, though, is definitely very important because when you're in these spots, remember, out is up for the most part. It's going to be difficult. One way to a strategy for the pack out is we move into like, okay, we got in there. We shot our elk. We were successful. Now the hard part begins. Getting in there is difficult. Hunting it multiple days is difficult. Getting an elk out is the real challenge. And so having good game bags because I often will bone the elk out in these scenarios. It's just removing all the unnecessary bone that you don't need to pack out. If you're in a place, I mean, Alaska has a lot of them for things other than elk where you have to pack things bone in. It makes it difficult. <laughs> but if you aren't somewhere like that, then, you know, plan on boning your meat out. But having good game bags where you can hoist it into a tree, keep it away from bears, keep the air around it, keep it cool, keep it dry, keep bugs off of it. Very important. The old school cheesecloth style aren't real great for this. You need like a good quality game bag. And then that's a really good strategy, you know, boning the elk out. It's also a really good way to cool them down and, and lessen the weight in your pack. One thing that I see a lot, I kind of shake my head. Some of the heavier pieces of an elk are the skull and cape. And a lot of people you'll see like they're limiting where they can hunt because they just, they got to carry awkward things unnecessarily. Maybe you shoot a bull and you want to mount it, right? I would still, I would cape the face and everything. It's something, if you don't know how to do it, you should learn how to do it. And then I, if I know that I'm, I don't want the entire like Euro mount, I will bring a saw because the little weight of like a small saw to skull cap an elk saves you so much weight from carrying that whole skull. Just remember to take the ivories out if you're going to skull cap it. If you aren't skull capping it, take the time to take the hide off the head and remove the bottom jaw. That bottom jaw on an elk skull makes it so awkward to carry, makes it heavy, makes your whole pack weird. Every time we kill a bull, I don't know how many, I mean, through guiding and everything, I've packed out hundreds of elk. I mean, I, I don't even I, I don't even know the number. I'm not saying that's a brag, but I'm just saying like I've got a lot of experience carrying elk. And I take the, the bottom jaw off every single time. I don't care how close or far it is because it's just like the energy to take the jaw off saves you that much more and just packs up a little bit easier. Another thing is I've talked about one of my favorite pieces of just non-hunting gear that I always have on a hunt is like a black contractor garbage bag. And I'll wrap the skull in that because then you can set it on the top of your pack. You don't get blood dripping down everything. And then you can lash the, the antlers and the head onto your pack fairly easily. But that's just a really good tip for when you're hunting in these places where you got to go uphill, make it easier on yourself. Don't carry unnecessary stuff. Have a pack out strategy in place before you go in there and like think on your way down. Okay, this is a good bench where, hey, maybe I'm going to my pack out strategy. I'm going to get down there. I'm going to bone it out, quarter it up, whatever. And then I'm going to start making, uh, leapfrogging it to this particular spot. One of the ways that I think about uh, getting an elk out of a place like a hole is step one is just get it all to the top. Before I like going down to the other side, I'll expend my energy on the hard side, getting it up. Once I get it up, then it's a lot easier to bring everything down. There's been many times where I'll take multiple trips going up because it's heavier, it's harder. And then once I get to the top, it might be downhill out. So I can load my pack different. I can 
take more weight. Maybe I've got gear that I've stashed up there, whatever it is, um, but I can take more weight on the downhill side. So I go, I go light up maybe multiple trips and then I can go heavy down the backside. So getting it to the top and then multiple trips loaded for that downhill. I've done some dumb stuff going on the downhill part where you just finally get to the top and you're like, all right, I'm going to carry this whole elk in one trip. I'll never do that again. I've done it many times and I just like, if you're young, go for it. As uh, you get like past 30, you're just like, it's stupid, but I'll probably still continue to do it. I don't know. I'm, I've got like a couple screws loose. I know for sure. And then one of the other things is just as a tip, when you're hunting in a hole, oftentimes you have to make multiple trips that take longer. It's just part of the deal. The pack out's a little bit harder. You need to pay attention to your caches because of problems with, especially if you're in grizz country, but any kind of country, there's potential for bears or large predators. When you kill your animal, move the meat and store it, you know, upwind away from the carcass and in a place where you can have good visibility and, and can see. And then each stash that you go to, you know, just be cognizant that there could be bears and, and take precautions. I just, I think that that's something good to say because we don't want to be, I want my listeners to be the ones that have a successful and safe journey in the mountains. And that's very doable with taking a few just little precautions. So it always needs to be said. Another technique for getting a bull out of a hole is to get a crew. One of the pieces of gear that help with this is an inreach. I mean, it's actually changed the game uh, for for packing out elk for me personally, because I can be back somewhere and maybe have some friends that will help, or uh, especially because I, I, I hunt a lo- alone a lot. And you can send an inreach message like, "Hey, bull down, who can help?" And then you start cutting it up. And by the time you get it cut up, there's sometimes where it's like they can be there. I don't know how many times this last few years since I've had an inreach, it's been like pack out crew help. I mean, I think dang near. It probably is. People probably friends are probably like, okay, you've worn out. You're welcome. We get it. Uh, but no, it's it's nice. I would help a friend that needed help, and I have a lot of friends that would help me. And so you can make it all in one trip easier if you just do it as a team. And sometimes the hard part in back in the day would be like, all right, well, I'm wasting time carrying it out. And then I get back and then I go, got to go all the way back in. Having an inreach or some way to communicate with people is a really cool tool. Uh, In recent years, now that I've got a family, I actually just this last year invested in a sat phone. It's expensive, but I travel a lot. I'm in the backcountry a lot. And it's peace of mind for my wife to be able to just call and talk because there's a lot of delay in the inreach and other things. There's still a lot of delay in the sat phone. There's no perfect situation in a lot of these remote places, but having a crew and being able to communicate with them, the piece of gear and equipment that can help you do that is extremely valuable. There's a lot of other options out there now. A lot of my friends now have the Zolio, I think it is, or something like that. You know, that one has some benefits, some drawbacks. The price is good, but you can't like text from the device. You have to use your phone, which you use your phone on the inReach 99% of the time too. So just something to think about. And then my last tips for the pack out portion would be the kind of this uphill versus side hill. When I think about packing an elk or anything really, I generally choose the shortest distance every time. For me, it's easier in the long run. I don't like to do a lot of side hilling if it's like steep side hilling. Sometimes you can side hill around and whatever. I'm more of a up and down kind of guy, but that's just how I'm built. 
But also it goes back to that pacing it. Go the way that is best for you. Some people really like that side hill. Some people get wore out at that side hill. Do the way that's the most ergonomic for the way that you like to walk and carry. And and just, you know, choose a route that, that's best for you. You know, there might be sometimes it's like, you know, every, you can have a pack of guys and say, oh, this way's the best, this way's the best, that way's the best. If they don't know where they're at and you get to choose, choose the way that's best for you. <laughs> Good friend. But j- that's just something to think about. As you go in too, think about your route out. You know, mark some areas like, man, I do not want to be carrying an elk out through this deadfall. Maybe there was a way that I went out last week or a few days before that was maybe a little longer but more clean maybe a little steeper but didn't have so much side hilling through shale whatever it is just kind of mark those routes i'll have my go hunt maps out and i actually like if there's a good route i'll just drop pins of like this is a good saddle to go through this is a good place to check like if on the pack out and i'll mark those things on the way in so when i'm going on the way out i have an identified route because you never know, you might be packing out in the dark, whatever. You've just got that preferred route in there so you know, okay, this is going to be the best way to get this animal out. One side note that I would say, and I've done this before, is don't go, if you're in steep country, whether it's elk, deer, sheep, whatever, don't go down something you aren't sure you can't make it down. If it's kind of bluffy country, especially if it's dark, I have packed a bull elk. I was like, me and my buddy were completely exhausted He's like, oh, we can get to the road this way. It's so much closer. And I'm like, okay, but I haven't gone that way. I don't want to. We're, are we going to get cliffed out? No, no, no. I'm pretty sure it's open. We get down there and we got cliffed out. And we're pretty exhausted. Now we have to climb up another 1,500 vertical feet to get back on track to go out the other way. It's a waste of energy and a waste of time. Go the route you know if there's a potential to get cliffed out or get into some bad stuff. Just go the way you know, especially when it gets dark. It's more when it gets dark. Um, but even if it's like, one of those hills where it's so steep you don't know on one side or whatever it is, go the way you know. It's going to be better in the long run. Now, I talked about the pack out. There's always this alternate option, which I talked about in the story, is horses. And I love packing elk out on horses. I don't do it as often as I, I would like to, but I do like. I don't like hunting off horses. I like packing on horses. Um, there are some packers and outfitters around if you plan ahead and can get some information like that. One thing about it is if you hire somebody to do that, they're going to know where you're killing elk. Maybe not the best. If it's a one-off thing, it probably doesn't matter, and they might know the area anyways. A lot of these holes, though, aren't super conducive to horses because there aren't good trails in there, and there aren't easy ways in. If you are a horse guy, you've got horses this is just uh, maybe a little tip of things, the way that I've done it in the past in these kind of, oh, like I'm not an expert on horses. I've used, I, I think that they're amazing animals. They're great tools. I use them for quite a few hunts over the years and for different things. The reason I say I like packing on horses, not hunting on horses, because when I'm by myself, especially, I don't like having to take care of horses. If you got someone to take care of them, it's great. But sometimes when you're hunting on horses, you're dealing with horses. You aren't hunting. Now they do offer you the ability to get into places better, carry more gear. There's a, there's a lot of benefits to them. The downside too, if you aren't used to riding a horse, just like anything, got to get prepared. Guy will go on like, oh, I'm going on a horse on enough to get physically fit. And it's like, that's not true, number one. And number two is you got to get fit enough to ride the horse because you'll get more sore riding a horse than you will hiking in probably. And because I hike a lot, I found over the years in some of these holes, a way that I can get 
elk out easier with the horses. What I'll do is if I get a bull down, okay, bull down, I'll take out a portion of the elk, whether it's like both front shoulders, uh, back straps, I'll take something out on that initial trek out because I got to go get the horse. I'll hang everything else and then I'll bring the horse in the next day. Oftentimes I'll do it. I'll actually just bring one horse on a saddle and then saddle panniards. And what I'll do is I'll maybe ride the horse in if I can, or maybe it's one of those things where it's just kind of a tough area and it's almost better to just lead the horse. I'll, I'll do a little bit of that too, you know, and some stuff where there's just, it's not great riding conditions. You get rodeos, there's a good way to get hurt, but whatever, you know, maybe have a friend, you and a friend ride in and you've got just the one horse, you go to the spot and then I'll load the horse what's a good load, but can still get up out, get, go through the stuff, won't overload the horse, and then maybe throw something else in my backpack for that lead out. That's been really successful for me in these kind of holes where it's just not, there's no good trails in there. You know, you might have to do a little more exploring to get in, get out. You're going game trails, this, that, and the other thing, but you still got to jump off a lot and cut a lot of logs out of the way and, and all that stuff, cut a good trail. That's, that's a way that I've done it in the past. And I've pulled a lot of elk out a lot easier with horses doing it that way. And that's just something to think about if, if you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if you've got horses, you're a guy that likes to hunt with horses, but you're like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to find a hole where it's not great to get horses in. And then you just got to think about, okay, I can get a horse in here uh, this way, that way, maybe a, a long way around or a different way in. Just another option when it comes to packing out elk. And I think it's an option that doesn't get talked about enough, but horses and elk hunting go hand in hand. They have for forever and it's a lot of fun to be able to hunt in horseback especially in some big wilderness areas i loved guiding in those kind of areas and, and doing that kind of stuff so that's just that's another option it's something to think about and a plan for getting out maybe if you say i'm not the type of person to physically get out then you can hunt those holes that you could get a horse into and that's another way to think about it I hope you guys enjoyed this series of podcasts. I love talking about elk hunting. I know there's a lot of you thinking about elk hunting right now, planning, preparing for elk hunting. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I think that's a, a good topic to talk about early, like I said, so you can get physically ready and say, this is, this is a good tactic that I might need to know and start to prepare. One of the things that we always talk about, you know, Mountain Tough, great company. They've got some great programs. And I, I talked about it earlier I've got a date set for that. We're going to do that live meeting. So anybody that's used Live Wild on Mountain Tough, you get six free weeks to do the course, to get in there and really just see if it's something that you want to do and see if it helps you. That's I'm, I really appreciate those guys for doing it. Like They genuinely want to help people out, and that's what I really like about them. So February 17th, we're going to do that live meeting. So if you've used my code, they, we're going to send out an email. It'll be at 6 p.m., and it's just going to be – kind of around that, this idea of hunt planning, open it up like we do the Q and A's. Uh, we'll be able to see each other. It'll be on a Google, a Google meeting. And then I do a little bit of a giveaway with any time that I do one of those. I did one a while back over about mule deer hunting when I launched, when we launched outdoor class and it was so much fun for me. I think it was really valuable for the people in there. It's kind of a way that I can kind of limit the amount of people but also you know have some questions and i think a lot of there's a lot of similar questions similar ideas and it's just a lot of fun to see you guys and and interact like that so if you're interested in that you know feel free to use our code uh, give it a try and we'll, we'll invite you to that it should be a lot of fun another thing 
that we've got going. If you guys aren't subscribed to my YouTube channel, you know, we're slowly starting to build up the library and, and release different kinds of videos, hunting videos, all, all kinds of stuff. So I've got a hunt that I did with Sako in Argentina for Black Bucks, releasing that today, Thursday. If you're on our email subscription list, you should see an email come through. If you aren't on that, get on it because every time so far, pretty much every time that I do it, I give something away. I just love to do giveaways. I like to, if I can get something that I can give to someone else, it's a, it's a lot of fun for me. So check that out. You can find that on my website. You know, we're, we're talking about a lot of application stuff is coming up. And as Western big game hunters, it's a big part of the season ahead. We, I did a podcast on it, but you know, a lot of deadlines. If you didn't apply for elk in Wyoming, you missed your chance this year. So that deadline is the kind of the first signifier of elk hunting deadlines. The next coming up is Arizona elk and antelope. That's February 14th. There's a couple spring bear hunts with application deadlines in February as well, Oregon, Idaho, and Utah. Some of those places have, like Idaho has a lot of over-the-counter, but they've got a couple special draws or whatever if, if that's something you're looking for. Uh, New Mexico deadline is then the next real big deadline, March. And then a pile of states in April. And we'll cover a lot of that stuff a little later on. You know, if you want to stay on top of that kind of stuff, what's going on, and you want to play the application game, I mean, I've talked about it before, but Go Hunt Insider is what I use. And you can, you can like filter through the draws, you can research units, and now you can save potential hunts in their new hunt planner feature. So what I'm doing is I'm looking ahead at what, what hunts are out there. I'm, I'm picking out those, those units. I'm really like diving in and I can, with that hunt planner, now I can compare like, there's so many options. And I used to have this scratch pad one of those, I still got it here, but it's like a yellow flip pad. I'm sure every hunter's got one, right? Like application season and you've got, I've got notes that I just can't even decipher on there. I, I think I like, I need like a code book to go through this. But with the hunt planner, I can go side by side. So I've, I've been doing this a lot. Side by side comparisons of two things like, well, I did a lot in Wyoming. I did, you know, regular draw, special draw. What's the difference? How are my I'm looking for that little edge. Okay. Maybe I'm going, here's some units that I've got hundred percent draw with these points. Well, what do I have like a 30% draw? Is it that much better of a unit? So I can really compare things side by side. I can rank my choices. I can then also save notes. And then when it comes time to apply, I have my strategy really mapped out. That's been, it's been key for me this year. I'm already, I'm working on a couple of states, you know, that are applications due down the road and I'm tweaking them and I don't know. This is just, I just geek out on this kind of stuff because it's in a lot of ways fun for me. It's like, it just gets your imagination going what's possible. And that research aspect's a lot of fun. Like I, I, I like that DIY aspect of diving in, doing that research. And this is the tool that I can use to do that. So just a reminder, you know, if you're interested in that, they've partnered with us. If you use code live wild, you'll get the insider membership you also get the Explorer maps with that. So you got maps you can take out in the field. But then the cool thing is you also get $50 credit in the gear store. That's just for the insider membership. So you'll get $50 to spend on gear. My gift to you guys. And then if you aren't members or you are a member and you want to buy gear, you can use the code at any time for 10% off stuff that's not on sale. So it's a way of getting some stuff a little bit cheaper as you gear up for the hunting season. I know, man, it's like hunting gear. I've acquired a lot of gear over multiple years. So anytime you can get a little bit of a discount or find some kind of deal, that's the way to do it. So that's available to you guys, you know, just something to think about. As always, 
you know, stay in touch with me, social media, subscribe to the website. If you don't already, you can follow me on YouTube, Instagram, whatever. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for those of you that drop comments and ratings on the podcast and just reach out and, and tell me what you like about it. Share your success. I really appreciate that. I, I honestly do. So also one last little bit of an announcement today, Thursday, February 2nd, for those of you that listen to the podcast on Thursdays, I'm going to be doing a live Q&A, so the call-in show that you might hear. We're going to be doing that at 6 p.m. tonight, Thursday. You can check my social media, at Remy Warren on Instagram. We'll have any, sometimes there's technical difficulties or whatever, but it keys off right at 6 p.m. So you can get the number on my social media, at uh, Remy Warren. Look at the story. I'll have the number on there. Know how to call in. As soon as it hits 6 p.m. Pacific time, then you just you call in the first 30, 40 people are in, and then we pick the questions from there. We go for about 45 minutes, hour, or whatever, and let's see how the flow goes. And yeah, the lines fill up fast, like within seconds generally. So you want to make sure that if you want if you want to try to get in on that, give us a call. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy answering your guys' questions. So that will be coming up later this afternoon if you're listening to this on Thursday. If not, you know, pay attention and maybe we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you guys so much. You know, now you really know the whole secret to finding elk. The whole secret. Ha. Catch you guys later. Mm-hmm.